We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. Hello everyone, my name is Mike Cosentino and from the capital of the South, we are bringing you the Run ATL Podcast, joined once again by my dear friend and yours, D2 Dolomite, Dave Martinez. Here we are. How are you? I am doing very well. I Actually, uh, better than I expected because we got up early to do a run and a workout with November Project. Yes, we were up early, but this is what fires us, and this is super cool. In fact, let's use this opportunity. Quick shout out for those of you who are not already aware of them. Check them out. We'll put something in our show notes for those of you who have tracked with us since last year when we learned about this, ultimately had a couple of their leaders on this broadcast, November Project, Atlanta, we made the workout at 627 after running from our podcast studio, getting in over 10K prior to that workout. What an awesome way to begin a day. Oh, yeah. And of course, it was PR day. So that, you know, one of my, one of my least favorite uh, exercises, burpees, was what we uh, had to do in addition to squats and other other things, you know, box jumps and stuff. So yeah, it was it was an all around workout today. Well, I would certainly agree with that, where I also think there's some consensus. The Tootsie Roll finisher, not a strength for you or me. For those who do not know what a Tootsie Roll finisher is, you've got two potential possibilities. Look it up yourself or show up at a future November project workout with us. D2 featured conversation today. Very, very groundbreaking in the fact that Tom Griffin, maybe our first time full-time walker that we bring to this episode. Yeah, and, and very unique because uh, just I, I can't imagine spending that, that amount of time on your feet and, and going across country. That's exactly right. So for those of you who are like, oh, great, you know what? I'm primarily a walker. They're finally listening to what it is that I would want to hear and putting it on the show. That is true, but so is the fact that in 2018, the second day of the year, he left the West Coast, spent the next seven plus months walking across this great country, did not finish until later. Late July, this conversation unpacks a lot of his stories. D2, one of the things I love about catching up with Tom, there are people, and I know all of our listeners, I know you personally, can think back to someone who you met, you connected with, and maybe it was just a brief encounter, but you just immediately felt a sense of kinship or that this is someone that you just, for whatever reasons, would connect with again and again and again if you had that opportunity. And that was the case for me with Tom. Do you remember when we first met him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and the thing is, is I, I remember, and I remember seeing his name because he was in one of our, uh, you know, running trade journals where he was writing this article about crossing, you know, the U.S. walking. I was like, that name sounds familiar. I was like, is that the same Tom Griffin that was with us with the Saucony um, I can't remember what the name of that was, but it came in, you know, as, as part with Saucony and the Man Group. That's correct. Yep, and uh, and and I remember him uh, speaking, and 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 we we met with him, and I was like, ah, that seems like it's the same guy, but I wasn't quite sure. He is indeed the same guy. Cool dude for sure. He came down with Dan Mann, part of that Saucony 
team building activity that we were able to do a couple of years ago. And now he is walking across the entire country and we get a chance to have him as our featured conversation. Before we go to a break, a couple of questions for you, D2. I'd love to put you on the spot. Opportunity to perhaps remind people this somewhat useless, but kind of interesting information, or perhaps educate yourself and them at the same time. Sockany, that's how you pronounce it officially. And in our stores, you can say it however you want. We almost have this thing that suggests give everyone the latitude they need, whether it's Asics or Sockany or Mizuno or any of these tough terms that we have on the boxes of shoes that we present you. Say it how you like. You are right. You are a guest. Say it however you would like to. We will not correct you. At the same time, there is an official way to say Sockany. They used to put the pronunciation key on the box. Sockany. What is it that is a Saucony? It is a body of water. It's a, a river or creek. And I know that the logo is kind of signifies uh, that body of, of water because there's two rocks, I believe, that are part of that and it's within the logo. Wow. Bonus material. And you are correct that, of course, Saucony, a creek in Pennsylvania where the first factory was located there now in Lexington, Massachusetts. At the same time, that is the trivia we like to share. We will get into a lot more of detail that you will want to file away when we get back with this conversation with Tom Griffin, who certainly gives us very clear indication that it is indeed about the journey. We'll be right back after this brief message. Shopping for a runner can be difficult, but Big Peach gift cards make it a whole lot easier. They're perfect for birthdays, holidays, or any occasion to show you support a healthy and active lifestyle. Gift cards are also perfect for the workplace as an incentive, reward, or thank you for a job well done. Big Peach Running Company gift cards are available at all seven locations and online at bigpeachrunningco.com. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. In our intro, we read this paragraph. I'm going to read it again. We did not give you indication of what was to come or why we were reading it previously. We will put you in no position this entire conversation to have any doubt why we have this individual on the airwaves right now or what this paragraph means. Here it is again. What started as a me-centric trip quickly turned into a walk focused on people and kindness and the unbridled love that comes from the combination of purposeful vulnerability and curiosity. When we read that in the intro, you might have thought a walk through the grocery store, a walk down a neighborhood street. That is not what we were talking about. In fact, a walk like no other. It was a walk that began on January 2nd in Santa Monica, California. It is a walk that concluded on the 22nd of July on Coney Island in New York. And it was a walk completed by our special guest and my friend, Tom Griffin. Thank you for spending some time with us. It's absolutely a pleasure to be here, Mike. Thank you for having me. Well, it is our pleasure. And in full disclosure, Tom and I have met previously, and I was very much enamored with his personality, his ability to interact with others as he served our team in a consulting role a couple of years ago. And then when I saw that he was taking this journey, I had the good fortune of kind of keeping an eye on him. We'll share all of the ways that you can learn about his journey if this is something being brought to your attention for the first time. But Tom, as we get started, as we unpack what we would say is a journey that few of us will ever be able to relate to, set us up, take us back to January 2nd. 
You're leaving relationships and life as you know it, standing near the Santa Monica Pier and looking to the east and recognizing you're going to be gone and on the road on foot for quite some time. What was that like? Well, I will tell you that it's um, it's relatively anticlimactic. Uh, you know, t- a, w- turning around from from one coastline and taking you know the first eastward steps towards another uh, without a crowd, without you know there being any sort of like uh, fanciful you know any sort of fanfare. Frankly, it it was a um, it was a moment that was sort of encapsulated with with a certain quietness that I I think didn't quite uh, didn't quite go along with the way I was feeling inside of my body. Um, I had a handful of friends that had come out uh, from the woodwork. I put a little note out on my social media that said, hey, on 7.30 a.m. on January 2nd, I'm going to be leaving from the Santa Monica Pier, north side. Feel free to come join us. And and I really didn't think anybody would show up because I didn't know if I even knew very many people in that neck of the woods. Um, but it turns out that uh, I think we had seven folks show up from very relatively disparate spots. Somebody from L.A. <clears throat> my, I had a brother. Uh, my brother showed up. I had some friends from Orange County show up. Just literally people from all the areas of my life, but none from the same areas of my life. You know, we always kind of have like a social group from, you know, maybe our jobs or our our, our hobbies and whatnot. And I, I it's almost a representative from each one of those places and they all were there and they watched me walk uh the length of the uh the the sandy beach up to santa monica avenue and kind of went their separate ways and within five minutes of starting i was uh i was off and the journey began well and as we mentioned previously the title of this episode for us it really is about the journey. And one of the things that many of our listeners will recall is this trip from one side of our great country to the other is not new. In fact, D2, we could pull the episodes of when we had Marshall Ulrich on or when we had Christian Griffith on, both who ran across the entire length of the United States. You remember Danny Grable as one of the first, in fact, the first female finisher with a team of females on the ride across America. And yet, Tom, I have to believe that your mindset might be different. It wasn't about trying to get there as fast as possible or trying to get to New York or any other place on the Atlantic seaboard faster than what others might think you could. This was really intentional in terms of why you left, but it wasn't so pre-planned that you perhaps didn't have different reasons for even leaving. What were some of those reasons that prompted those first steps? And then maybe in those first couple of moments when you thought, what am I doing, made you believe it was the right thing and you kept going? Well, it, the, the, there is a bit of a backstory that, uh, that I think ultimately led to those first few steps. And it, and it goes back a ways. It goes back to, I, would, I think, probably like 1994. I was fresh out of the military and uh, was sitting at a barber shop where I was living in Huntington Beach, California. And I picked up an old issue of National Geographic, as you do when you're waiting to get your hair cut, and uh, there was an article in there. And this this issue was from, I think it was from like April of '77 or something like that. It was so it, it was obviously old; it'd been there a while. And there was an article in there about a fellow who had walked across the United States, Peter Jenkins. You may have heard of him. He ended up writing the book Walk Across America. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I had never heard of him at that point. I was 20 nothing and, you know, just kind of living on top of the world and passing the time looking at the, this, this fellow's photo essay of all the people he met, of the scenery he saw. And, and, and I spent, I mean, the line was long enough where I spent the whole time, I spent my whole time in that barbershop reading this entire article. And I, I finished that article with two thoughts. First of all, was I can't believe you can actually do this. I can't believe this can be done. People could walk across the U.S. They had never crossed my radar like it was just I had no context for such a, a, a feat. And then the second thing was I knew in my bones that it was something I was going to do. And and I never let go of that as a possibility. And uh, the fact that it took me 24-ish years to actually make it happen, I think I, it just that's just how life happens, right? You have this great thing you're going to do, and next thing you know, 25 years have gone by. And and uh, but there did come a day uh, about a year before I started that walk where I I was just thinking about this thing, this walk across America that was sort of always on my eventually to do list. And uh, I had a moment where I was like, well, either I'm going to do it or I'm not, but I, I don't want to be on the fence any longer. So I either need to bust a move and make it happen or I need to get it off my plate because I don't want to be an old person sitting around waiting or look, looking back on my life and maybe wishing that I had at least given it a shot. And uh, so I just decided to make it happen and started pre- making some preparations for for that to happen, which is to say figuring out, you know, some gear and, you know, the routes that people generally take and 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 getting an idea of how much it was going to cost me and how I was going to make that work in my professional life. And and, you know, all of the logistics that I think you do when you're about to embark on something that that is, you know, a little, a little bit longer than a long weekend. And uh, and so that was sort of the the preparation that I did. Uh, and as far as what was going on in my mind on that day, I feel like when I arrived at Santa Monica Pier the morning of the second I was at sort of like, I was on high alert, just sensory high alert. Like I noticed everything. I smelt everything. I heard everything. It was just a really, everything was so loud in all those sensory ways. And as soon as I turned around and started walking east, everything was quiet. And it was, there was like a perfection in the moment. It was a validation of, of, of all the preparation, all the mind uh, time that I spent you know, whether it was actually preparing or just thinking about dreaming about this thing. And I was I was so overjoyed, but so at peace at the outset. Um, and if nothing else, it just validated that what I was doing was right. And I had no idea what that meant or what that would amount to. But when I think about that first day, that's what it is. Like it, it was just sort of like this perfect moment in time. Un, unmarred by any sort of questions. Man, there's just so much to pull out from there. And mm. instead of looking at some of my questions that I've prepared, I'm going to kind of tug at a few things that are Please. off script. First, I have to know, have you now let Peter Jenkins know of that inspiration <laughs> that although it took a number of years before you put it into motion, have you had a chance to kind of share some of your experience with him? You know, it's it, that's an interesting question. I, I I can I can I can't say that I have reached out to him personally. I have sort of 
and I don't want to use the wrong word here. I've looked him up on, on social media and followed him around a little bit and kind of got a sense of where he is today and what he's doing. And because uh, he basically made a kind of made a lifestyle out of this walking across things. Um, and and I and I find that to be really interesting, um, admirable even. Uh, but no, I, I have not reached out to him. And I think there's there may be something to that. And I don't I know you didn't ask me maybe why, but I, I, I'm, I'm going to ask myself that question because I, I don't think I, I reached out to him. Um, I think that was conscious. I, I think what I've often tried to do with this walk is, is keep it. Um, I, like I'm not trying to shine a light on it on, I'm not on me anyways. Like it's because I really don't feel like the journey is a, um, though it is a personal accomplishment. I don't necessarily feel like it's something I want you or people to associate me with because really the journey was the was the people that I met along the way it was the things that happened along the way and very early into this walk I realized like that though it is my goal to do this thing it it wasn't a journey that was really about me at all um I was just the dude on the side of the road that uh that happened to be doing this walk so you know that that obviously took a certain amount of gumption and 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 just commitment. But, uh, but I think that, I don't know, I think on some level to reach out to other folks like him, like, and say, Hey, you inspire me to do it. I don't know. I, I, I guess I never felt compelled to do it. And I, I, I'm, I'm having trouble right now explaining even why. Well, who knows at some point, maybe the two of you have a, a great conversation in the meantime. And this is, I think, very consistent with your personality, your humility, the way you interact with others, the way you do shine light in ways that it illuminates stories that are alongside or perhaps even independent of your own. But I will tell everyone as part of what I believe is our obligation to not just inform, but to inspire our listeners as we've been inspired by Tom. For those of you who cannot wait for the show notes, tomswalkinglife.com. You'll find all kinds of cool things about not just the trip itself, but those interactions that we'll kind of tap into in this conversation. And perhaps in the same way that that National Geographic magazine on Huntington Beach in a barbershop prompted someone to put something in the back of his mind many years ago, you'll find something on that webpage along those lines that you will just have to wrestle with. And maybe it will be you who is next, whether it's a walking journey across the country or some other target you set for yourself because of the desire of what Tom again referred to as a combination of purposeful vulnerability and curiosity. So Tom, where you may not shine the light on yourself, that's where D2 and I come in. So let's <laughs> go back to that perfect indication seemingly of all of your senses heightened mm -hmm. and ready to go as you took those first few steps. And as you said, it was such a clarifying moment for you when you left Santa Monica or headed off of that particular beach and into the throes of what ended up being. And get this, for those of you who have not done the math on the dates I shared earlier, 205 days of walking. For those of you who did not look up the two destinations I shared earlier, whether on the west where he started or in the east 
where he finished. That's 3,410 miles. So whether it's 100 miles in or a few weeks in, Tom, that perfectly clarifying moment you had in Santa Monica, did that stay with you? Did that continue the whole way through? Or were there other senses that were either dulled or heightened as you made your trip? Well, I mean, that, that I can tell you flat out that I never doubted that for 205 days straight, I woke up and knew that what I was doing was the right thing. And uh, I had been given sort of a heads up from people that I know who have done either this very thing, walked across the U.S. or something similar. They had kind of given me sort of fair warning that uh, there's going to come a day where you're going to kind of question everything and wonder why the heck you're out here. It's going to be raining. Your sleeping bag's going to be wet and your feet are going to hurt and you're going to you're just going to throw uh, the question out there and contemplate the possibility of stopping. And I waited for that day to come. I waited for, I mean, I had those moments where the weather was, you know, kind of like not ideal and, and moments were sort of sketchy and, and there were tricky days, but never once, I mean, I waited for that day to happen, but never once did I ever wonder if what I was doing was right. I, I 100% of the time knew that it was right, exactly as it was. So, so I think in that way, there was sort of a uniqueness. But I also attribute that to the fact that I spent literally 24 years sort of uh, like, like cooking the stew, you know, like it was the flavor was just right. It wasn't something that I had a harebrained idea to do a year ago and then made it happen and then was like, dang, I, maybe I should have thought about this a little bit more. Um, I don't know how much more I could have put into it mentally. Uh, so I think mentally I was ready for it physically. However, um, I was not, I was not as ready as I wanted to be as much as my mind wanted me to be anyway. And, and I suffered a couple, uh, trip ups early on and, and, and those trip ups almost, uh, found me having to stop the walk, um, which would, which was something that I was sort of suffering from, um, my ego was suffering from the possibility that my body maybe wasn't equipped to do this type of adventure or this type of strenuous or endurance type of event. And uh, in that regard, it, it became a little bit of a challenge. But I never, ever doubted that what I was doing was right. And as you kind of made each step happen, and, and of course, on this particular broadcast, we have so many who former Olympians, elite athletes, personal trainers, coaches, physical therapists. And I don't want this to become one of those standardized fitness questions. But given what mm -hmm. you did, did you get stronger or was it increasingly difficult to stay strong? Maybe physically speaking, but if you wouldn't mind also tapping into just the mental requirements over 200 plus days, 3,400 plus miles. Sure. Yeah. Uh, physically I got the strongest I've ever been in my life. I was, um, by the, by the last or with, with like two weeks to go, I was covering, I was covering 30, 35 miles before the sun even started to dip and I would stop and pitch my tent or find a place to stay. And then I'd, I'd go for a walk because I had time. Uh, and my body was, I mean, I, I, I joke and say I was like, I was bulletproof, which obviously that was just how I felt. I certainly wasn't, but I, I was in the absolute leanest, meanest shape of my life. And my background as a runner or as an athlete was 
endurance running. And, you know, I would train for 50 and 100 mile type races and never in my life had I felt as fit as I did as I got closer to the coast, uh, to the Atlantic coast. So before now, I, mental, I was going to say, before yeah. I ask you to pull the strings a little bit on the mental consideration, I just want to pull this out D2. If you think about the number of times somebody comes into one of our stores and says, well, I just walk or I'm only a walker. Here is someone <laughs> ex military. Yeah. Ultra marathoner admitted addict to throwing lots of mileage at things as a runner and has never been more fit than when he was doing consistent walking. I hope that gives everyone who in the past has said, I'm only a walker or I'm just walking, all of the courage they need to say it far more proudly than what they may have in the past and know they are on equal footing with any runner who is out there. Darn right. Darn right. So, so Tom, touch on the mental side of it because – for those who are listening who are like, yeah, I'm in really good shape right now. I wonder if I could pull that off. And those who are thinking, yeah, I bet if I was more consistent in my own fitness routine, I bet I would get stronger. There's more evidence from Tom that that is usually the case. What about the mental side? My goodness, you left Katie behind for six months. What you knew in terms of your own workplace experience was totally undone, although it's not like you entirely disconnected, but what you had known for many hours every single day prior to the walk was totally absent. Other things that were probably guilty pleasures, whether it was knowing where you were going to wake up or certain places you just enjoyed in your home state of North Carolina on a regular basis, those were not available to you. Give us the mental side of such an odyssey. Yeah, yeah. Um, the so the the mental side, like with everything, is is really where it's at. I mean, the physical gener generally will catch up if uh, if if you're putting in the work, but the mental side, I think, requires just as much, if not more, work. Um, and and a and a very similar or equivalent type of work as the as the physical. And by that, I mean. Uh, with as much intentionality as we go out and say, you know, train for a half marathon or whatever the distance might be, we have to, we have to allow our brains to kind of have a similar sort of opportunity. And, and I, I've, I've always incorporated the idea of sort of imagining what is going to happen before it happens. And which is to say, I've given my brain a chance to think about it and process the future before the future is even near. And I think that that allows our bodies to sort of embody the, the possible outcome or the desired outcome in a much more uh, handily way or natural way um, because we've we've already we've already put it into our uh, into in, into our existence, um, and, and and it sounds kind of like it sounds sort of lofty, I guess. But but in a very simple way, in a very simple mindset uh, or simple explanation, it's about intentionality. Every morning, I would wake up, and I had a very common routine. I do the same thing every morning, whether I was in a, in a hotel, in, in, if I was camping, whether I was in somebody's front yard or, you know, in wherever somebody let me sleep in their backyard, whatever I would wake up, I would do, uh, like a 15 minute meditation. I would do a little bit of yoga just to kind of get my body moving, just a little stretching out and I'd have my breakfast and while I was having my breakfast, I was repeating or at least thinking a couple things. 
And one of them was, I'm going to move through this day with love. I'm going to move through this day with love, not for not just for other people, but for myself. I'm going to move through this day uh, with positivity. Like I'm going to do these things. And and it wasn't a question. It wasn't like a challenge for myself. It was it was just this is the way it's going to be. And on some of those days, you know, it's it, I knew it was going to be grueling. It was going to be 100 degrees and I'm not going to have any shade and it was going to be a suffer fest. But that was the foundation of the day. That was my mental training for the day. And it was always done a, a, no more than a day at a time. Like every day was the journey. It wasn't like the journey happened to have an ending, but the journey was like an hourly thing. It was a, 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 maybe a daily thing, but it was significantly smaller than what the journey looks to be because it had this really neat outcome. The journey was the day. It was the waking up saying, I am going to intentionally do this today. I'm going to, I'm going to move through the day with love. I'm going to move through the day with positivity. I'm going to meet people and, and we are going to have a vulnerable exchange. And, and I would have these daily thoughts and guess what? All that stuff came true. And this is the power that we have not not only as athletes, but just as human beings, like we can wake up every single day and just kind of like reaffirm our it's re reaffirming our own existence. We're creating the path or creating our future by acknowledging the fact that it's possible and then telling our brains that it's already happening. And then it happens. It's not a it's like praying. It's like it's like a, a setting an affirmation. I mean, call it what you'd like. But this is the type of power we have over our lives. And when it comes to the mental side of what I did, I attribute my entire uh, ability to walk 3,000 plus miles to the fact that my head was in the game every single day. Physically, you know, I could probably, I, people walk across the regularly who probably have less interactions with folks or less positive experiences and they get it done. And, and, and that's not to say it's, you know, it is an amazing, is not an amazing feat. It's amazing. But I think that there was an intentional richness that I sought out, and a lot of that had to do with connections with other people. And every single day, I asked for that to happen. And, and more than asked, like I, 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 I made a comment to myself as if it already had. And, and so the mental side of what we do is what, is what we do, <laughs> more than anything else, I would say. Wow, friends, that is something that no matter how many conversations we have with people who accomplish things that are hard to comprehend, perhaps even, and this being the fourth as just an example, featured conversations in a relatively new podcast like the Run ATL is with less than two years, four people from one side of the country to the other. And yet what he tells us in terms of mental training, not so much that today I'm gonna to spend the day walking or riding, running or just enduring. What he says instead is today I've made the decision to move with love, to move with positivity. And my goodness, if you can do it when you likely have some blistering on your feet on occasion, some rain in the forecast regularly, then the rest <laughs> of us ought to be able to make that choice so regularly, knowing totally. that we're going to have the comforts with us that we have alongside everyday life all the time. Tom, that is such an awesome message for all of us. One of the other areas that I think that you provide great insight and perhaps 
some motivation to people like me is your ability to kind of audible or, or change as necessary, maybe even pivot, if I can use that term intentionally. I'm going to pull this off of your website as well, so I'm not sharing dirty secrets, and I will be the first to tell you I've already admitted <laughs> I've known you personally. I'm a big fan of what you do. And when I've seen you in action, it is A++ work. So this isn't someone who cannot keep a job. But what he says is, I've worked as a teacher, corporate trainer, running store operator, roofer, army soldier, stevedore, wine cellar worker, forklift operator, tour guide, warehouse manager, short order cook, race announcer, visual artist, photographer, animal caregiver, giver, recreation <laughs> leader, anthropologist, copy editor, ice cream scooper, voiceover talent, bartender, <laughs> life coach, and secondhand junk slinger. That is his resume, ladies and gentlemen. So at the obvious belief this isn't because you can't hold down a job or that you're not worth whatever wage you're making in all those different routines but instead that you see reasons to make changes and to make adjustments and you do those intentionally i remember as i read about your journey that you were making last year that occasionally you were going in one direction or you were headed to one destination and then the next time i read you made plans to go in a different direction, even if only slightly, you were still heading east, but it wasn't going to be the same route that what had been announced previously. Give us a little bit of an understanding of how that can help us and how that becomes almost effortless for you to make changes, to adapt as necessary, and to get the most out of those instances where you do pivot. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm going to say that that list of jobs, um, I've always kind of joked that that sort of makes me look like I've been living a life on the lam. And, and, <laughs> and uh, um, I mean, at one point, I think that that the reality of that background made it really difficult for maybe a traditional employer to, to take me seriously. And so I've, I've, I, I now have sort of come to terms with that, just who I am. And, but it's taken me a while to accept the, like the the genuine needs of my of my of my genuine true self, right? Like the the fact that what I was doing was just living me, and even though maybe socially or the social construct wasn't quite well equipped or even um, <laughs> willing to accept my my personal my genuine needs, right? It it it, it it's come. I've come gotten to a point in my life and call it maturity or age, whatever, where I've just been like, well. That's just who I was. It, it didn't quite establish me as a career person in any particular field, but boy, I wouldn't trade it for the, for for a doggone thing. Um, so I guess, uh, the, yeah, you're right. When I set out uh, on the second of January, I had my plan was uh, to finish at some point, no particular time frame involved. And my goal, my goal finish spot was the Atlantic Ocean, which sort of gives us an entire coastline as a particular goal. Sure. I, I did not have a route, so to speak. I mean, I had, I had sort of a perceived possible route, but there was nothing, and nor is there anything in my being that locks onto a plan so hardcore that you know I'm, I have to, uh, I'm not allowed to deviate from it, and and I'm just not that personality type. Um, I don't particularly tracked. I don't care about mileage and, you know, tracking my steps, things like that. Those things just don't really, those don't, those things don't fire, fire me up. Um, but yeah, I, I made a whole lot of route changes along the way. I mean, it kind of, my, my route changes probably resembled my resume in that you think I'm going to finish in North Carolina and then you think 
then you read my blog again and I'm finishing in Maine and you read it again. And now I, who knows? Like it's, it was just a big question mark. And I never, I don't think I was certain where I was going to finish until I was within, you know, a hundred, 200 miles or so where I had to really set out a route. But basically what I would do is, is I'd, I'd plan a week in advance and I'd sit down and look at my, um, I was using my phone for, uh, navigation, um, which sometimes was, 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 uh, legitimate and other times it sort of sent me astray, uh, which kind of made for just sort of a fun, uh, roll of the dice on a regular basis. <laughs> but, um, I, I would plan out a week and, and for a week and cause generally I would walk for six days and, and stop for one. And I, on that, on my off day, I would, I would spend a lot of time off my feet and looking at uh, my maps and figuring out the next six days of walking. And so there was, it was always just a very short burst of, all right, where do I want to go? And there were times where I would be looking at the map and just sort of get a sense that I'd have this feeling, this sort of like intuitive feeling that, oh, maybe I, maybe I don't want to go that route. Maybe I just want to go this route. And it wasn't based on any sort of logic per se. Like this, and this is the story of my life. Like I, I take the South route simply because something in my belly says go South, but there's nothing I could tell you that really is, you know, the determining factor as to maybe why I would have taken that right turn. Um, so, so that was kind of, and that works for me. Like that's not a plan that necessarily works for everybody, but that's, that's a way that I guess I live my life in it. And it was represented well in how I walked across the United States. Let me ask a question based on, on that answer. And maybe others have asked it. Maybe nobody's asked it before. Mm. Do you think your ability to say that that works for you and that you can make changes or perhaps even have unexpected changes come your way. And it's just something that you do and seemingly do with being able to take it in stride is connected back to that, making the decision to move in love, to move forward in positivity. Do you think that those are connected in any way, the intentionality with love and positivity mm. and the ability that you have to make changes very capably and maybe even enjoyably, or at least have them come your way and not that, not have them take you off course. I, I do. I think that they are directly connected. And I think the other piece that is maybe even more directly and, and then, and then, uh, sort of peripherally, uh, hugged by the, by the love and the positivity is the idea of being purposefully vulnerable. I, mm. I, I genuinely believe that if, that where we are, probably at our best or maybe at our most true is when we are sort of in a moment of of risk and and risk can be small or big things but i think in in a moment where we're sort of faced to really take a look at ourselves and and our what what resources are available to us or or even what what internal strife that we're suddenly like holding in our hands and having to use to our advantage i think those are the moments where we become better humans. You know, it's like the most, and when I was a teacher, I, one of my first mentor teachers told me something similar on a more practical level. Like if you can, if you can put folks in a somewhat uncomfortable situation, and that's, you know, not to say that, uh, the discomfort is, you know, something that is uh, overly risky, but if you can make people remember the moment because they're in a, in a less comfortable place, they are more likely to remember the information that you stack on top of that. It's something that I bring to most of my um, 
training environments or when I do educational opportunities with teams these days, like there's always something that prefaces our content that is <clears throat> purposefully vulnerable. Like I'm, I'm setting the stage to make people stand on a little bit less steady ground so as to make or help them or encourage them to remember this moment in time so that we've got a more solid foundation when we start creating content on top of that. And I think that the same idea goes is how I live my life. I don't want to necessarily have a status quo existence. I think that there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't find myself able to thrive very well for a long time in kind of the same thing day after day after day. I need to like put a stick in the spokes and throw myself off that bike uh, every now and again in order to kind of get up, maybe a little scratched up and injured and and figure out, well, what am I going to do next to keep moving forward? To me, that is a, a way for me to kind of slow life down, maybe even increase the what time looks like. And and maybe maybe by stopping the hamster wheel a little bit, we get or by purposely stopping it, we actually earn more time on, on this planet because we're, we're, we're forced to have to always learn something new. And, and that requires us slowing down. And uh, to me, that all those things kind of together make up the sort of life that I would choose to live given the opportunity to choose. And, um, yeah, and the walk becomes the metaphor for that. Wow, I had wondered what the walk might be metaphorically for not just your life, but quite frankly, the journey that we talk about. And so let's just go right there. The walk okay. can be a metaphor. It could be a metaphor for you who did it. It could be a metaphor for those of us who are listening right now. What is it that now you would say, I've taken from my walk and I'm applying to my life and it might have merit to others as well? <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question. Um, I, I think it's simple. I, I uh, and and I guess it's important to before I answer that question to acknowledge the the fact that the walk that I did was a walk that was sort of it was it was a walk that that turned out the way it did because of. Uh, a lot of factors, obviously, um, and not just external factors, but also like who I am. Um, I'm a white male and and being a white male on the side of the road um, on some level uh, paints a different type of picture than if, for example, if I was a female or if, or if I had uh, different colored skin and and I and I can't talk about this walk without at least acknowledging the fact that everybody's experience out there is going to be different for all sorts of reasons. And, and, and I don't want to like necessarily sum up my experience as an experience that would be universal because I just don't think that, that it works that way, unfortunately. Um, but all of that said, I think that what I found, uh, the walk sort of represented as a whole as something that I'd like to then take to my life or maybe take to my, well, take to my life overall is the idea of, of, of connection and kindness is we all are on this planet with, with very similar at base 
um, motivations. You know, we all want to be healthy. We all want to be loved. We all want to have people in our life who care about us and acknowledge us and see us for who we actually are. We all want that. And whether or not we're attuned to that, I think, I think it still is true. And, and on that very basic level, we have something in common, whether, regardless of, of our beliefs in you know, s- uh, systems or politics or religion. All of those things kind of are, are, are secondary, if not tertiary, to this basic foundation of humanity. And, I've, and, and I found, while I was walking across the U.S. in places where, where I was questioned in, in, for all those other sort of like belief system areas, what I found is that regardless, there was a way to connect on that very basic human level. And, and so intentional, like connection, uh, with, with a sort of like honest kindness, you know, like a realness is, is, is a place where all of us are able to meet in the middle. And, uh, and, and I am challenging myself now to take that idea um, or that experience that I was able to witness regularly, like if not daily for 205 days across America and bring it to my real life where there is much more of sort of a status quo thing going on um, between, you know, my my life and everybody else's life around me. Like we're all just kind of going through our days. And but I think if we take a moment to stop, which is what so many people did with for me while I was walking the side of the road, they'd stop their car, pull off to the side and walk up to face me and say, what the heck are you doing? Or tell me <laughs> your story. And, and I am now challenging myself to do that in my life with strangers. And what I find is that I'm able to essentially mirror the experiences that I had as a novelty on the side of the road with my big floppy hat. I'm able to mirror that in my so-called real life and, and experience the same kind of richness. And there is nothing better than the feeling that comes from connecting with a stranger on a level that is so innately human. Like after a minute, there's emo- maybe they're like, we're getting emotional or we're embracing like, and, and I know this, if you've never done this, like it sounds sort of like, sounds kind of cheesy, but it's so possible. And it's right, like you could go out right now and go do this today. And, and there's just nothing better than the feeling that comes with something like that. And, and I feel like it is sort of my duty now to go do that. And one person at a time is the best we can ask of ourselves. So that's what I try to do. And I have my days where I'm able to knock it out of the park and other days where it's just like, okay, I tried, but boy, that wasn't easy. But you just keep on going, you know, it's just what we do. Well, and I perhaps will be putting our relationship on the line here by asking this with your rightful and wonderful focus on kindness and all that all of us have in common beyond some of the things that sometimes strive to divide us or that get the attention in terms of how we're different. That obviously is not true. And you live that out so well. And here I am on the verge of asking questions. I always seemingly have to ask people who have done what you've done at least somewhat the same way, even if their intent was to do it faster or do it by a different means of travel. So are you ready for some of these rapid fire questions? I'm ready. Hit me up. Best. I think we share this D2, you and me. You like your coffee? Wait, Is that a fair statement? What? Are you a coffee drinker? 
Oh, heck yeah. Don't I got that. that I got that impression. I thought that was part of my memory when you were in Atlanta. <laughs> Best cup oh, of yeah. coffee you had in those 205 days. Where was it? Okay. Um, I know the, I know the, the answer. Um, I'm not going to remember the name of the cafe, which that's a bummer for them. Um, I was in Tyler, Texas. Okay. And, uh, gosh, it's going to kill me now. I can see, I can see the place, but the name is going to not, it's, it's going to strike me. Um, so listeners near Tyler, well, Texas, if you have a favorite coffee shop, Tyler, let Texas. us know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Best espresso was in Tyler, Texas. I even bought a t-shirt. It was so good. Dang. I'm going to have to dig that out of the suitcase and uh, put that on I proudly. Know. Okay. Well, if nothing else has a legacy to this conversation, we're going to have to connect you with Peter Jenkins and help you return to your espresso roots in Tyler, Texas. Best overnight accommodations. Where were they? Best overnight accommodations? Is that what you asked? Yes. Um, uh, Anywhere in the desert. Anywhere in the desert. I would say BLM land, which is the public lands that are reserved for the public to just essentially go use, usually for two weeks at a time. Um, Sometimes if you probably, you probably can go out longer, but it's, it's wide open space that is accessible uh, by vehicle or by foot. And you can just disappear out into the wilderness and take up space for as long as you want. And you've got the world to yourself. You may as well be on the moon because you don't see anybody out there. And uh, to me, that's that's my favorite spot. Um, I love the desert, but I do love the idea of of being able to kind of like go out there and just say, this is this is all like this is all me or this is all us and I can just exist here um, unhindered. There must be something to that. D2, you'll be in Arizona here before long. And I believe Christian Griffith's answer to favorite state was Nevada, largely because mm. of the desert. Is that recollecting properly? He didn't mention the desert. Yes, he did. That's awesome. So there is something in common. I know you didn't go through Nevada. Perhaps the one decision that we would question, and I would hope that I could at least make you feel slightly guilty, is that you did not come through Atlanta. In fact, I think you skirted most of the state of Georgia in its entirety. Yes, how could I not? I wasn't going to interrupt your blog on the journey and be like, what are you doing? You're not going the right way. So I decided to keep it to myself until this invitation to come on here and then just publicly (laughs) shame you. But without that uh, really being something that uh, that is going to hold us from admiring what you've done, I'll go to my next curiosity. And this is going to be tough for you for somebody who walks out kindness so well. What was that place or perhaps even that state that you could not get out of fast enough? Oh, you know, this is a this is one of the most common questions, at least worded in some way or another. I don't, I do not have an answer to this question, um, okay. and and the reason is because there isn't a ranking per se. Uh, I mean, some states I just zipped through, so you know, I kind of blinked and and kind of missed it. Uh, the, the skinny states in the South, uh, Mississippi and Alabama, I just I was there such a short amount of time, and then when I think about Texas, I. I spent almost the half of the entire journey crossing the state of Texas. So so it's tricky to compare because they don't necessarily compare time-wise. Um, I had more abundant or more, um, more human interactions in the states I stayed longest in. And so on some level, like I remember those states more. But 
every single state had people had the had the same amazing people that would stop me to to ask what I was doing, and then we'd proceed to have these amazing conversations, and they'd tell me their stories, what they were inspired by, and and so there was not one state that that I could say like, oh gosh, like I couldn't wait to get out of you know California or whatever. Because I, that just isn't how I thought about it, and nor do I think about it in hindsight that way. Like I'd go back to any one of those states and, and stay longer if I could, except for maybe Texas, because I've had my share of Texas. I loved it there, but I've had enough. You were there um, a long time, especially compared to some of the others. And knowing your persona, I'm not surprised that you had such a diplomatic answer. And we won't just you know, nudge you too much to, to come up with an answer. Yeah, but I, then just, I, I just I, don't have it. I, uh, I think you're telling us the truth. So it's not just mm-hmm. a politically correct answer. All right. Last question mm-hmm. in terms of the rapid fire first 48 hours after it was finished, after you were in the Atlantic, just off Coney Island, first 48 hours after that, what was the sweetest moment knowing that it was behind you, that your walk was finished oh. <clears> and that now you could start to reengage or enjoy things that you had to be largely or entirely without for over 200 days, what was that sweetest moment in the first 48 hours of really being finished? Well, uh, okay. Uh, if, if you're asking for the, the solitary single most sweetest moment, it was, it was, uh, reconnecting with my partner, Katie. Awesome. Uh, I, I, she walked with me on day one for the first 20 miles and then walked with me on day 205 for the final 20 miles. And, uh, coincidentally we started the walk, uh, the first night, um, we stayed at my brother's house in, in the L.A. area. And then on the very last night before the finish, we stayed at her brother's house. So there was sort of this really cool full circling happening. Uh, but having the opportunity to share those first and last days, but specifically that last day with her is, um, oh, man, that was magic. That was magic. And, we, and the finish line was... Uh, was so quiet again, uh, sort of like that same piece that started uh, in Santa Monica, sort of a rainy kind of drizzly day. There were a couple people that came out again, sort of like unexpected, uh, an unexpected couple of folks that just sort of showed up. Um, but being able to walk to the water, I'm about to start crying right now. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> to, to be able to walk to the water with, um, with Katie. Wow. I didn't expect this. Uh, it was, was magical. Absolutely magical. That's awesome. Well, I'm not going to let you off the hook with that. It's a great image in our mind. And for those who want to see more images, I gave you a website earlier. I'm going to give you another one. We will of course put all of these on our show notes, Tom Griffin, that's G R I F F E N. Dot com. There's an about page that just mentions the walk. And then, of course, what we mentioned earlier, Tom'sWalkingLife.com has all kinds of information about that. You can find Tom's Walk Across America on Instagram. And there is a podcast as well for those of you who are like, man, I haven't had enough even right now of this story, My Walking Life can be found on iTunes or wherever it is that you enjoy this broadcast. It's an amazing story. In addition, one of the things 
I want to ask you about, Tom, and then we'll go to a break that I'm going to let you take us to. But you're writing a book now. From what I understand, you're over 100 pages in, maybe even coming down the home stretch for those of us who want to make sure you finish that journey as well. And we get an even deeper dive into all that you learned and to your point, just a few seconds ago, what those magical moments were like and the lessons that you not only learned, but now we'll be able to share with all of us so that we can benefit from them. Put Tom's walk across America. You'll see a GoFundMe page come up and certainly would encourage you from your humble hosts on the run ATL podcast to contribute to that. But now Tom is your kind of coming through that part of it where you are detailing your account and you are willing to be vulnerable once again and put your experiences on paper and share them with the world. What is it that goes through your mind as you kind of conclude that effort? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, uh, I mean, this, this book is, is, a, is almost been a separate journey um, to the walk itself because you know it's like anything when you're in the thick of it you know you recognize a moment and and then later on maybe you're able to reflect on it and realize that that moment was layered with things that weren't quite as visible as they are after the fact so the hindsight really does offer a new sort of perspective and that has been the case with my entire writing process and very similar uh, to to some of the things that you said early on, as well as to the walk itself, the process of of creating this book is is really where the the richness comes from. The fact that there will be a book as an outcome is is a is a nice bonus, um, but the process of being able to reflect on on these days and these people and and all the notes and I. I'm so happy I took such copious notes along the way because they're sparking memories that I think would have otherwise been lost. And I'm able to really reflect on uh, something that maybe at the time didn't seem like much more than just a, uh, just a detail. And now when I look at it, I realize that that detail is, 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 is much more special than I had seen it for at the time. So the book has sort of been a series of of those sorts of revelations. And uh, yes, I am, I'm probably about 80% done with my first draft. I'm talking to publishers. I'm doing all the things you do when you're in the process of, of, of writing a book and trying to, 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 it's an all a new process though for me. So I'm kind of learning as I go. Um, but, uh, but I am confident that there will be a, a product at the end of this, which will be fun to be able to hold this journey in my hands and then share it in that way with folks. Um, I, I, that's probably as like a book takes a while to, you know, to, to get out into the world. But, uh, um, I think eventually this will be something to find. Um, and I will just say that, uh, as a quick correction to my Instagram, I've since I've changed my Instagram name, just, uh, for those of you who might've looked at that, it is, uh, Tom's walking life uh, is my Instagram tag. And so if you, if you check that out, you actually can, can backtrack and see photos and blogs, daily blogs from the journeys start to finish every day, one through 205, and uh, meet a lot of the people that I will expand on um, writing about in this book. So uh, you've got a, there's a lot of content out there on my Instagram more than anywhere else, and that would probably be a place where you could go get more information. And then when the book's out, it'll uh, that's where you'll find the information about um, where to get it. 
That's awesome. Thank you for that correction, Tom. Like I said, I want you to take us to a break. So I'm going to set you up. When I first sent you a note with my curiosity as to whether you would join us, I mentioned that we had an episode that we wanted to put together called It Really Is About the Journey. So what I would love for you to do, you responded to me that you liked that title. You were obliging to us and said that title is true. I want you to tell us why it really is about the journey. So know that that's coming. I'm going to read a quick quote that I believe you embody. Some may have heard this before from Hunter S. Thompson, known for his authorship of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Life is not a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow. What a ride. And Tom, you live that out. You are a friend to all of us who intend to get the most out of every single day. I think you were too kind to those who are willing to simply live the status quo. I will tell you that whether or not a conventional employer would ever suggest that your resume sets you up for success in their environment, you are always welcome at Big Peach Running Company. And the next time you are in Atlanta, let's walk a few miles together to make up for your bad decision not to come through last year. (laughs) You got a deal, my friend. (laughs) All right, take us to a break if you would, Tom. It really is about the journey. Why is that so true? It is the journey because the, the, the end comes and goes in a flash. And any runner can tell you that the finish line, when you cross it, you're often left with an empty space because your, 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 your process no longer is as necessary as it once was, or at least it's, it's no longer as directed as it once was. If we enjoy the process that gets us to the outcome, then we are, we are asking ourselves to enjoy life, essentially. And if we're waiting for something in the future to encapsulate that enjoyment, we're probably missing the small details along the way that make our lives as beautiful as they can be. Uh, that is probably uh, my quickest summary, but it, 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 is, it is the way that I try to live my life. And, and I, I certainly encourage folks to at least consider the possibility of just stopping and slowing things down and letting today be what it needs to be while intentionally uh, seeking the goodness of your day. And we would join Tom in that very cool and very accurate encouragement. We'll be right back after this brief message. Congratulations to everyone that got into the lottery and will be joining us and the rest of the 60,000 participants on July 4th. Now is the time to start thinking about what you'll be wearing down Petrie Road that morning or later that evening enjoying the fireworks. That's why we have the Patriotic Asics Gel DS Trainer 24. There are limited qualities available for pre-order and we expect these to sell out. We also have Patriotic Run ATL shirts available now online. Go to BigPeachRunningCo.com and order your patriotic gear and suit up for the 4th of July. And welcome back to the Run ATL Podcast. D2, Tom fires my soul and I want more things on my bucket list when I think about what he did and keeping that commitment to himself to do it and showing us how important the journey is. 
and it is about the journey and, it, and it's the it's the people you meet along the way i think that's what's really impactful and i think that was kind of interesting to hear from them for sure that's the case and people will meet along the way just as a teaser for our next episode i think this is an awesome pairing we go from tom griffin who walks across the entire united states to an american running even distance legend not quite coast to coast but our next episode as you know we'll have ryan hall joining us one of the great american runners of our time yes and speaking of american i mean we, we've got peachtree road race coming up and we've got a lot of patriotic stuff uh, uh you know available for online for pre-sale we've got the you know we've we've just secured additional pairs of the mizuno um 50th peachtree rider um, so we've got those. We've got the A6DS trainer that's also Patriotic Colors. We've got a couple other things that we can't reveal quite yet. But I can safely say and claim that Big Peach Running Company will have the largest selection of Patriotic gear in all of Atlanta. You speak the truth, my friend, and you unveil things as you can. So everybody will have to stay tuned. We will continue to make sure that it is well worth your while on this podcast and in all of the other mediums that we support. But for now, we must bid you adieu, but only for two weeks. We'll be right back at that point to bring you the Run ATL podcast again with Ryan Hall. In the meantime, as we say, as we certainly mean, may your best miles be those covered on foot. Hey, y'all, if you enjoy our podcast, let us know. If you have topic suggestions, questions, or guests you'd like to hear on the Run ATL podcast, email us at podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com. That's podcast at bigpeachrunningco.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube.